0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm one, the very first Psalm, right in the middle of the Bible. It's our practice to go through books of the Bible, and uh, starting next week, we're going to be beginning the book First and Second Thessalonians, one that uh, is often avoided, and we're going to be talking about that uh, beginning next week, and um, in between our series we've just finished up on God is Able and First and Second Thessalonians, I wanted to return to Psalm 1. Now, many people in the room don't know that I even do this, but it is my goal every two years to preach on Psalm 1. Um, and many of you haven't been around uh, for this to, to even see this, but this is actually, I think, my um, sixth time, I think, to preach on Psalm 1. And every time that I do this, I don't consult any of my previous notes. I don't look at anything else. All I do is freshly open up Psalm 1 and start fresh again. This is something I decided to do a number of years ago to kind of be a point in my ministry that I can look back at and see, believing what I do about God's inexhaustible Word, that there would be something new, there would be something fresh here, that there would be something Here that it would be for my season. Psalm 1 talks about the seasons and flourishing in the different seasons of life. And so it becomes kind of a barometer for my ministry and what I'm thinking about and what I'm dwelling on. And it's been a joy to do this. Let me tell you how it unfolds usually. Whenever I decide a week to do this, I usually begin the week with a little bit of mild panic. What, what am I going to say that I've never said before, right? What, you know, even though I'm not consulting this, this is in the back of my mind. Is there, is, do I really believe that God's word is inexhaustible? And there'll be a, a day of mild panic as I read and reread the psalm that I've had memorized since I was a little kid. I'll read it and then I'll say, what is, and then I'll, and then day two happens. And the Holy Spirit comes and I see again how inexhaustible God's Word actually is. This beautiful psalm that's right at the entrance, the the psalter is, is really captures the Christian walk, the experience of faith. And it's so important that we understand the psalter. It gives us the hymn book for life. And right here at Psalm 1, this is what is called the gateway or the doorkeeper of the psalms. Right here at the beginning, it was selected by whoever Put this book together in its final form. We believe the Holy Spirit guided the process of all the writers who wrote these Psalms, mostly David, but some others. And then someone put it together under the direction of the Holy Spirit and gave us this beautiful hymn book. And they put this psalm first because it's the entryway. It is a beautiful psalm, and it is like the rest of the scriptures completely inexhaustible. It's beautiful. Now, my staff team said that perhaps it's been three years since I did this, rather than two. I try for two years, but maybe... I didn't check on this, actually, but maybe it's been three years. But, you know, pandemic math is hard math. Um, And so I'm going to give myself the pass that uh, we all have given each other. It's been two or three years, but we'll dive into it now. Let's read together Psalm 1. Blessed is the man... Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. There's a question that kind of floats back at the, the back of my conscience. It's an extremely challenging question, and I think that it will challenge you once I ask it of you this morning as it challenges me I think that if you have a spiritual pulse if you have you know a desire to know God and to walk with him then this question is going to challenge you the question is this do i really have faith in god or is my faith rooted in some set of circumstances do I really have a faith in God, God himself, or is my faith rooted in a set of circumstances, a family circumstance, or because I have friends in the church, or because my life has been pretty good, or because you know, things have gone well for me, generally speaking, even with hard things, what is my faith rooted in? It's a challenging question. I think I've been thinking about this because I recently reread... Uh, the Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom's story, which is kind of a classic Christian work. If you haven't read The Hiding Place, uh, stop what you're doing, leave this room. No, I'm just kidding. Stay here until the end of this, but then, then go home and buy it on Amazon. It's free on Audible right now. Just listen to it, which is what I did this time. I've read it many times, but I listened to it this time. The Hiding Place is the story of Corey Ten Boom, this, uh, this family in Holland during the Holocaust, in the World War II. This faithful, godly family that Corey grew up in set the example of loving their neighbors by hiding them in their house, their Jewish neighbors. When the Nazi uh, Germany Army, army came in and occupied Holland and set up camp there, they hid the Jews in their house. Eventually, if you know the story, their family is caught and Corey and her sister Betsy, they make it to a concentration camp in Ravensbruck, this German concentration camp. And by a miracle, they're able to smuggle a Bible into this concentration camp. And as they're brought in, they see what their living quarters are going to be. They're ushered back into this huge room that's filled with massive bunk beds that are just flat surfaces one after the other. And they are all all the women who are in this group are, are crammed into this space and and it's this filthy environment. And they realize that they have fleas all throughout these living quarters. They despair. Then they return to the Scriptures and they open up the Bible and they happen to read a verse about thanking God in every circumstance. And Betsy, who is kind of, as Corey tells it, her, her faith anchor, Betsy says, we need to thank God for all of our circumstances right now. And she starts to pray and thanks God for the many blessings. Thanks Him that they can bring the Bible in. Thanks Him for all of the, the people that have helped Him along the way. And then she says... We need to thank God for the fleas, and this is where uh, Corey does a hard stop, <laughs> uh, and as you read it, you're going to be sympathetic to Corey. Thank God for the fleas, and she says, Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for fleas, which is the honest and somehow real and, and kind of right answer in our minds. This, I shouldn't thank God for this circumstance. But as it turns out in the story, the fleas play an integral part. As she prays this, she recognizes that the reason that the guards are leaving them alone in that room, the reason that they can have the Bible out every night and they can have a little mini worship service with all these women, the reason that many people are coming to faith, the reason that they are encouraged in the midst of this trial is because, in a way, of the fleas. And so she has the spiritual awareness to go back and say, I should have thanked God for the fleas because of what He brought us. See, Betsy's faith was not rooted in the circumstance. There was something deeper to her vitality and life with God than a set of good circumstances. Even the most extreme and worst scenario, fleas, bedridden fleas, with the almost certainty of death at a concentration camp, she finds in herself a life that is deeper than her circumstance. Do we have a faith that is rooted in God or is it rooted in a set of circumstances? Here's what I want us to see from Psalm 1 today. A life rooted in God provides an abundant stream that nurtures us For every possible circumstance. A life rooted in God. When you are the tree that's planted by the streams of water that is God's presence in His Word, that stream is an abundance that nurtures you. It's what prepares you. It's what keeps your leaves green, no matter the circumstance that you find yourself in. So we want life in the stream, not life outside of it. Those are the two possibilities Psalm 1 famously puts before us the two pathways, the righteous and the wicked. And the way, one way to understand that is to say those that are rooted outside the stream and those that are rooted in the stream. First, let's look at those who are outside the stream. It opens with verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, there's certainly a beautiful poetic progression here. Walking, standing, sitting. These are degrees of departure from God. And it gets worse and worse. It begins with suspicions, then it leads to sin, and then it finalizes in scorn. You can see that progression. The suspicions, those who walk in the counsel of the wicked. That is to say, those who begin to go around with those who are outside of God and start to consider what a life outside of God might look like. It's it's more of a suspicious thing. It's more of like a it's not settled yet. It's moving towards being settled, but it's, it's just starting down this path. You're starting to be attracted to other ways of maybe getting ahead, or maybe there's an advantage to being outside of God, and these are the ways that we think sometimes. If I, you know, maybe my life would be better without faith. Maybe, um, maybe this isn't the best way. So you literally start down that path. In other words, you start walking. Then there's the next degree of walking away, which is to stand in the way of sinners. Now, this is a little more firm. Just like in the English language, to stand in Hebrew can mean to literally stand, or it can also mean a way of showing allegiance. When we say, I stand with the troops, I stand by the flag, we mean I support it. I stand by something means I align with it. And now, this person who is rooted outside the stream, is standing with the sinners. That is, more fully embracing. It's not just suspicions now. It's actually, okay, I'm starting to live this way. I'm starting to identify my life outside of God. And then it goes to scorn, to sit in the seat of scoffers. And here is where I realized, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps for the first time in many years, How beautifully the psalm says that no matter what, your life is rooted. It's seeded in something. We're going to see the tree planted by streams of water. But here, it's almost like you're putting down roots, you're sitting down in scorn. Just like in English, to sit can mean more than just to have a place where you're resting. The word sit can be translated to dwell or even to abide. It's, it means more than physical seating. Just like when we say Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, we don't just mean that he did that act of sitting down. It, it means something, doesn't it? That he sat down at the right hand of God. It means that his work is finished. And for the person who sits in the seat of scorn, it means they're finished. They're resting now in scorn. They're finished with God. They've moved to a place of settled allegiance. There's no longer a question of walking or even standing with, but settling in. That is being rooted outside the stream. It results in being rooted in scorn. What is scorn? It's this This mocking, jesting way of of putting off God. What about those who are rooted in the stream? The psalm changes pace here. Because all those ones have been negatives. Blessed is the man who doesn't do these things, but then he turns it and talks about the righteous one. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night To be rooted in the stream means that you're rooted in two things, the psalm says. First, you are filled with the living word. And second, you are filled with the living water. You are filled with the living word. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? This is the Scripture's that the psalmist would have had. This is all of God's revealed will. This is all of the history, the Pentateuch. The, this is the life of God's people. And he says that he finds a delight in it. Not just in the words themselves, but in meditating on it. The word meditate, on his law he meditates day and night, is related to the word for chewing or ingesting or eating. He eats God's word. It is not a picture of obligation and duty. It is a picture of sustenance. The word of God feeds the righteous, it sustains them. That's why it's night and day. That's why he needs it more than once a day. It's like what he or she needs. Going back to Ravensbrook, where Corey and Betsy are waiting, perhaps to be killed in their flea-infested bunk, what they rediscover is God's Word as sustenance. They smuggle in this Bible, and in the evenings, they started reading it out loud to the women, there was many different languages in the room and they themselves spoke Dutch and German and other, I think that they knew three or four languages, but they started to read it in different languages and then others who knew some of the same language and another would repeat the words out loud and it would just be this call and response as these women gathered around the Word of God, they would read one phrase in Dutch and it would be translated in German and Italian and Polish and they would, everybody would hear the Word of God. Listen to how she describes this experience. This is just amazing writing as well. Listen. She says, Like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the Word of God. I would look about, as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face. More than conquerors. She reads from the book of Romans chapter 8. She said, more than conquerors. It was more than a wish. It was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it minute by minute. Poor, hated, hungry. We are more than conquerors. Not we shall be. We are. That image where the Word of God, and they talk about it elsewhere in the book, where the Word of God becomes something more than this thing that exists. It becomes their very life, their sustenance, like a fire that they need to warm their hearts, like food that they need every morning and evening. In the worst circumstances, the worst possible thing you can imagine, they were rooted to God's Word. It was more than just true And it was the farthest thing from a duty. It was a lifeline. It was a fire for their bones and a meal for their belly. It's what they needed. And it's what we need. If we're going to be rooted in God, it means that we are filled with God's Word. Not as a duty, but as a delight. And not as an obligation, but as a meal. And so we ask ourselves this question. Do your circumstances drive you to God's Word, to Scripture, because God has given us what we need. Right at that moment when they needed to thank God for the fleas, they get this call to thanksgiving. Right when they needed to see that they were in the worst possible spot, they read Romans 8. More than conquerors, the Holy Spirit is able to feed us in our circumstances, whatever they may be, positive or negative, because of God's Word. How do we begin to do this? How do we begin to have a Psalm 1 kind of approach to the Scripture? God giving us what we need. How do we begin? What do we do? How much do we read? Am I doing it right? These are the questions we ask. And I would say, to help with this, we start with our desires. Because our desire, our circumstances reveal our desires. As we are in a hard circumstance, some of you are. Our circumstances reveal our desires. Begin with that. What is your desire? To know Christ more, to see his story, to start from the beginning and read the whole story. Follow your desires. How much? I love Psalm 1 because I think it gives us very practical help. It says to us that we should read as much as we can with delight and regularity. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and and night. And so I would say to you, read however much, absorb however much, meditate however much as you can, with delight and regularity. If you have delight, you enjoy being in God's word. But there's no regularity. It's just like once you know every six months you find yourself in a coffee shop. You're Instagramming yourself. It's like I'm reading my Bible. You know, like that that's a beautiful thing. But it's it's not enough to feed you. What about? regularity but without delight. If you're reading so much or you're trying to check off boxes and you never are fed by God's Word, you're never pausing to be shaped by it, that's also a ditch that you can fall off into. Read as much as you can with delight and with regularity. You know that you're doing it right when you are fed by it. Because this is what God's Word is meant. It's meant to warm you, to warm your bones to feed your belly. It's meant to draw you deeper into the stream of God's life. And it's meant to build you up, to be rooted And a life with God is to be filled with the living Word. And secondly, it's to be filled with the living water. Verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water. I think you understand the picture. There is a tree next to a stream, and the stream gives the tree life. What is this a picture of spiritually? It is God dwelling in us. God's own presence sustaining us like water sustains the tree. And it tells us that God gives us what we need from Himself. He is the living water. He is the sustenance that we need. He is the source of life. And it's actually in finding that He fills us that we have life. All of these pictures are going to come together in Jesus Christ in this most amazing way in the New Testament. These pictures, because Jesus is the Word. In, in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. So when you meditate day and night on the Word or the law of the Lord, because Jesus also is the fulfillment of the law, scriptures tell us, this is Christ, where we find sustenance in Christ, because He is the Word and He is the fulfillment of the law. He's also the provider of living water. He draws these images straight from the Old Testament to talk about himself in John chapter 4 when he's talking about the woman at the well, talking to the woman at the well. He says, I have water that will make you never thirst again. You'll never be thirsty. Your heart will become a wellspring of water, he says. Just a few chapters later in John chapter 7, he gets up and he shouts, come to me, all who are thirsty. If you believe in me, the living water's That is, the Holy Spirit will flow out of you. God Himself will dwell with you, being your source of life and sustenance. So, in the ultimate plan and sovereignty and provision of God, Psalm 1 resolves in Jesus Christ the way that we receive God's Word, the way that we receive the living water is through faith in Jesus Christ. Because He is the Word, and He gives us the water, and He is the fulfillment of the law. And in Him, we are rooted by faith. And it is the way, Jesus says, to have an abundant life, is a life in this stream, that is, in Christ Himself, a living and abundant life now and for eternity. The Scripture says that you're going to be rooted in one of these two places. The contrast couldn't be clearer. There is the righteous way and the way of wickedness. What happens when we root ourselves in either one of these ways? Each one of them produces something. Look at verse 3 again with me. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers Fruit is the result of being rooted in God. Spend some time thinking about that image. The fruit is so powerful. Think about the fruit of a tree as a picture of our response to a life in God. It's amazing. Fruit is delightful. Fruit in its amount and quality varies from tree to tree. But still, there are good trees and bad trees. Fruit is something that is different than water. Though living water comes up through the tree, but what it produces is something different. The tree is not just a mere conduit for the water. It uses the water to produce something beautiful and amazing that is also filled with water. Fruit takes a long time to grow, and it improves if cared for season by season. This rich image we are given fruit because we have a life with God. The leaf doesn't wither. It doesn't matter how dry or how hot the season is. In other words, it doesn't matter the circumstances. The seasons change. Sometimes it's a productive season. Sometimes it's an extremely hard season. But no matter that circumstance. And the Bible doesn't shy away from those circumstances, by the way. I'm not saying that you have to ride above it and not recognize how hard and dry the season can be. It's honest about this. There are hard seasons. There are shadow of death. There is cancer. There are seasons of loneliness. There are seasons of apathy and not caring about God at all. But the picture is, no matter the heat or the drought of the season, it's not enough to stop a river. The river flows and if you are dependent on the river, then you will grow no matter the circumstance, no matter the season. There are results on the other side as well as he shifts back again to the wicked. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff instead of fruit. What is chaff? This is another ancient picture of farming. Like fruit, but different as the farmer would winnow the grain harvest. That is, he would take the pile of grain and throw it up in the air using a winnowing fork. And the, as the grain would go up into the air, the heavier parts, that is the edible grain, would fall down to the ground And the chaff, that is the shell, that is the part that is dying, the lighter part would drift further away in the wind. And so what was left is a pile of usable grain and chaff that's blowing all over the place, rooted in nothing. This is the picture that we're given of the wicked. The chaff that the wind drives away, in other words... Not rooted in anything, even though they have seated themselves in scorn, what scorn ends up being is nothingness, emptiness, drying out. There is no third way. We are either rooted in something that is drying us out and leaving us as waste, or we are connected to the stream and thriving no matter the season. As I mentioned, it's interesting that both pictures are of one of a settled state. Eventually, you settle down. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners, but eventually, your heart gets rooted and set in scorn. And if that happens, then it ends in nothingness, in emptiness. Or you pursue the Word of God and the presence of God, and you get rooted There. What do you have besides your circumstances? All of us have circumstance. All of us have things that we're going through. Some of it's hard. Some some of you, you're okay. You're doing okay for now, but it's going to be hard next week. The circumstances change. But the question we're asking is, how deep do your roots go? No matter the circumstance. If there happens to be a change in the circumstance, would anything be left or would the roots sustain you? I read this newsletter from a writer named Matt Labosh, and he's a great writer and thinker. It's kind of all over the place um, on politics, on fly fishing, um, on religion, and, and he has this newsletter I read every week. And um, he is a Christian, even though he comes from a completely different tradition than ours, so I wouldn't agree with everything that he says in these letters. But he had this great piece last week where he was interacting with one of his readers, who had messaged him about um, just his writing and thanked him, and they got to talking. Turns out this older man is dying of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And he's been bedridden for years, basically. So this this guy who is an atheist, he is not someone who would identify with any faith, he was a money manager in California, successful, played a lot of golf. Uh, he, He had a great life. And now his life is mostly in bed. But he reads Matt Labosh and, and he reached out to him and thanked him. and They started talking and Matt had the audacity of saying, he's not, it's not like super evangelistic or anything normally, but he actually said asked him, they, he got to a comfort level where he said, what, what gives you comfort? You have this, this disease and you're going to die of it very soon. What gives you comfort? And Tom wrote back, and and then he agreed to share it, and he shared this newsletter, and he answered back this in part, it's a very interesting question what gives me comfort. Likely, it's trying to get through each day learning or finding something that interests me, something that brings me joy, something that is beautiful, like the silver of the sky as I look out the window, or the touch of my wife as she rubs cream on my horribly swollen feet. An email with my son on his adventures as a caddy at Pebble. Laughter sure gives me comfort too. An ice cream cone, making someone else laugh. We have a choice to make it joy or make it sorrow. For now, I choose joy, but reserve the right to change my mind. It's a heartbreaking thing to read because all of those things are so beautiful. They're beautiful circumstances. The love of a spouse, learning things, ice cream, amazing. This is a, these are the good things in life. But what's tragic to me about that is that it's evident that what he has done is moved his comfort from one set of circumstances to another set of circumstances. Lesser ones even. It used to be my career. It used to be golf. It used to be better, being better than everyone else. And now it's smaller. It's, it's these smaller joys. And I'm trying to find comfort in the smaller joys, the, the different circumstances. But those circumstances are not guaranteed. What if his son stops talking to him? What if the doctor says, no more ice cream? Well, he we have to go to lesser and lesser joys and extract more and more comfort from circumstances. This is the tragedy of a life outside of God. What if... We were nourished by a life in God that then had all kinds of beautiful circumstances to give thanks in and to endure through. But we were not rooted in those circumstances. What if we were rooted in God? Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the end. This is what we are rooted in. In the end, it has results. It results in fruit or chaff. And it results in judgment or in being known by God. What if we rooted ourselves in God? Not in a circumstance. Not in things going right. And we had a faith that even in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, without ice cream, without other people letting us down, which they will, Without with, with cancer even, with fleas, in the middle of a holocaust, it wouldn't matter. Because we are fed by something that is different than that circumstance. Not because we are strong, but because we are rooted in the stream of God. How do we begin to grow this? Anything, Psalm 1 tells us, that brings us into the presence of God and brings us to the Word of God those two things, nourishes us for a life in God. They come together beautifully, step one, and the table of the Lord spread before us. As we come to the table today, we're going to be fed by God, nourished by He Himself, given His life for the life of the world, for all those who have faith in Him. We are sustained by Christ Himself, who is the Word and who gives us the living water. The Holy Spirit is also here applying Christ to us. As we come to the table to be fed by him, we find our real life. It's not a life rooted in any circumstance as real as those may be. It's rooted in God and what he has done for us. And in it, we will flourish. Let's pray.